Well, this series called Unplugged, and we have one more week after this next week. It's Unplugged, and it's our need for rest, restoration, and getting quiet. And so we're going to spend some time today talking about restoration and what that looks like. So we'll jump into it. Uh, pray with me for revelation, if you will. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, a chance to get into it this morning together. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit be our teacher in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that it would not be a faith that is someone else's faith we would like to believe, but a faith that is our own that we live in this life, that the very breath you give us would be um, inhaled and exhaled in an effort to live out what you teach through your word. Help us, Father, to be conformed to your word, not ask your word to conform to us, but rather change us because of your word. And lastly, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit's indwelling power might transform us through the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might be surprised, but I've talked about this before, but this idea, I'm going to start, and then we're going to ch- you know, change gears a little bit. But um, for years and years, on my kitchen counter, there was a little sign by the sink, and it said, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not quit. That was a piece of art made, maybe you got one of those in your house, by Sarah Walker. And I always say it was a blessing and a curse, because right by the dish, the dish, the, the, the sink for dishes. <laughs> and it's like every time you would see it, it would remind me that I, you can't quit no matter what. Like here it is right out of the Bible, right? That no matter what happens, this is from Galatians 6, 9, by the way. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Galatians 6, 9, just one verse. Look at the word. If you have a, a Bible with you, if you don't, they should be around you, hopefully on your chairs. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up or if we do not quit. And I want to kind of unpack that for a minute because there's times, I'm telling you, I love that little verse sitting there by my sink. And there was times I wanted to throw it out the window. Like, I'm done with this. And maybe it's just the dishes. I'm done doing dishes, right? I don't do a lot of dishes. I'm done getting up and looking at this messy kitchen. That'd be my wife's thing, right? I'm done with this circumstance. I'm done with this trial. And the word here says, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. What does that mean that we shouldn't grow weary? It's really interesting because it means to lose heart, right? That we would grow weary, to pass out, to grow tired. And it's like, well, how do you not grow tired if something's exhausting? The word actually means don't start to serve out from an inwardly bad situation. I looked into this because I was so curious what it means to grow weary, and it means to have some inner rot that exists that you start to live out of. This brokenness inside makes us weary. It's not right. We can sense it. We know it. But the Bible admonishes us, don't do it. Don't get that way. Don't function from your inner brokenness. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. How do we do that? How do we not grow weary? It's like, don't get tired when you're working. Don't get you know, um, uh, exhausted when you're running a marathon. Like, what do you mean? You're expending everything in this effort. But there is this inner brokenness that sometimes manifests itself. It works like this. It's like a foulness or rottenness that sets in here in our hearts in our innermost being. There's a definition I love. It says this, it's inner malice flowing out of a morally rotten character. I'm like, ooh, that sounds super judgy. (laughs) An inner malice flowing out of a morally corrupt character. Like, what? 
That's what it means to grow weary, to get exhausted. Don't do it, it says. Don't grow weary in what? In doing well. Now, why would you ever grow weary in doing well? What does it mean to do well anyway? Like, how can you get tired of doing well? To do well, it would mean to uh, work or manufacture that causes beauty or honor or worth or nobleness or goodness. I want to read that list again real quick because I want you to hear it. It means to do work, to manufacture things, to cause, to come into existence, beauty or honor or worth or nobleness or goodness. I'm like, what? And then immediately it's like, don't grow weary in bringing those things into the world. I told you, Corey and I have done a lot of life together. He's a dear, dear friend of mine. And one time we were together doing a Bible study, and we read this verse. And you know how you read a verse and you're kind of trite about it? You're like, don't we grow weary in doing good, but in due time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up, right? And it was like, let that be a moral lesson. Do more good. Don't stop doing good. You know, and you the scripture. But then Corey looks at me and he goes, isn't it strange that as the people of God, you could get tired of doing good? that you could function from the inner brokenness that you would begin to want to stop doing good in the world, seeing more beauty, finding more peace. Isn't that weird? That was his question, his proposition. How is it possible that the people of God would grow tired of doing good? But rather than be judgy, because we aren't judgy, he said it must be a tendency that we have to grow weary in doing good. Isn't that interesting? Why else would Paul write to the church in Galatia and say, don't grow weary? Because there's a tendency for Christians to go, man, I have had enough of this. I'm done. And by the way, (laughs) the last part of that verse is the worst. You'll reap a harvest. Yeah, don't grow weary in doing it. You'll reap a harvest. Yeah. If you don't quit. Oh, no. (laughs) If I don't quit, that's the only way to reap a harvest? But there must be a tendency we have in our hearts and our minds and our lives where we say, I've done it. I put my time in. I'm going to talk about family Bible. I've been around for a while, and I hear that all the time. I have done enough. My time to serve is over. My season is finished. And I'm not here to be a slave driver and say, serve some more. It's not the goal. We're going to unpack how we find restoration with God's plan. But isn't it interesting that we have a tendency to go, I'm out. I'm done. No more. That's striking to me. So that's Paul's admonition, though. He says, don't do it. Can you imagine getting tired of doing good in your life? Why would we give up anyway? Why should we not give up anyway? What is it about us as God's chosen people? I'll remind you, the book of Galatians is written to a believing church that they believe the gospel. Why would they, we, who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, he died for all of our sins, that we could be free from sin, free from past sins, present sins, and future sins, have guaranteed eternity with him, grow weary of doing good in this life? Because that's where the admonition is. It's for this time. It says, why should we not? Listen, because, and I love this. I'm going to unpack it for a minute. Because in your own season, You'll reap a harvest if you don't quit. 
What does that mean then? I, I love that. And it is specific here because I read that kind of like in season. So it's the same for everybody. So if you're doing a hard thing, going through a hardship, you have a, that everyone has a time where God says, okay, that's enough. Now there's a, there's a model, there's a formula for suffering. You suffer enough. And then in due time, the harvest comes. Beep. It's like planting crops, right? Everybody's on the same cycle. That's not how the word reads. It says that in your season of hardship, in your season of enduring, in your seasons of, of not quitting, you will reap a harvest. It's personalized. It's, it's located for your life. You will reap a harvest in your season, in your time. There's an idea here that at the right time, and I don't know if you're with me in this church, but you long for the season of harvest where all the effort and all the hope and all the passion and all the dreams come to a head. That's actually what the word means in the Greek. A season is a time of coming to head. And Corey mentioned right now, you're driving in, you see the fields. They're, everything's coming. It's ripe. Oh, how we long for the moment. But Paul says, don't give up early. Don't stop early. Harvest is coming. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you don't let go, if you don't release, I want to unpack that just for a minute. So, so there's this tension building, right? And, the, and what does it mean then to give up? Because I'm like, I ain't a quitter, right? Anybody not a quitter around here? Like, even when you should quit, you don't quit, you know? Like, the guy who just, you ever seen a fight where someone's in a fight and you're like, dude, just stay down. This is ugly. Nobody wants to see it anymore. The crowd stops cheering. Oh, no, don't get up. And that dude or that lady gets up again and just takes a few more. And it's like, oh, no, someone throwing the towel. Someone quit for them because they can't quit. But that's not exactly what it means here. It means there's a tension building. It's actually a bow and arrow term. We love this, right? Hamartia, to miss the mark. But it says, unstringing your bow. Do not unstring your bow. If you hold the tension on the line, if you wait, harvest is coming. Listen, God's purpose is coming. Now, you, you preach that to people who are like in the middle of, and they're like, yeah, yeah. But you get into hard things, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to be an unstrung bow. I want to let the pressure off. Why should we stay? Why should we stand firm? Because we will reap a harvest if we don't let go if we don't release. You know, there's some other passages that kind of relate to this, and I want to kind of personalize your own faith journey with the Lord. Not only is it your season of, of beauty, your season of bountifulness, your summer that's coming where the harvest is plentiful, but God has marked out, it says in Hebrews 12:1, run the race marked out in advance for you to run, that you're on your own spiritual journey it's not a competition between other people on the same track. You're running your own race. And it says it was marked out. Here's another one, by the way. This is from Ephesians 2.10. Do the good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do. <laughs> it's not a good work for someone else to do. It's for you. And so there's this personalization of the text that the reality is that you continue to do good in your own way, in your own path. But I ask, have you ever found yourself wanting to just give up? And what's the difference between giving up 
and finding restoration in God. Is he a slave driver? Is he like, foot on the gas, I don't care what it costs you. I don't think so. I'm going to ask you to turn now to the book of 1 Kings. First, I think it's 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st Kings, 1st Kings 19. 1st Kings 19, and we're going to cover a few verses this morning, uh, 3 through 9. You've heard the story before. I want to tell you a brief little backstory here. This is the story of Elijah. Man, Elijah is one of the coolest prophets of God ever. If, 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 you're, if you like a rowdy story, if you're like, you know, four days in a Harley kind of a person, you'll love Elijah because Elijah's always, he's a mess. He comes out of nowhere in 1 Kings 17. You know what his name means? I didn't know this till this week. His name means, my God is Yahweh. <laughs> Elijah. My God is Yahweh. Like, that's why. And they go, is that really his name? Or was it because of his life that people called him that? That's that guy whose God is Yahweh. But uh, he's introduced in, in 1 Kings uh, 17, but it kind of comes to fruition in 18 and 19. I'm not going to unpack it all. It's a great thing to look at if you want to look at those passages about Elijah. But um, Elijah is a great prophet of God. And why do I love Elijah? There's a bunch of reasons, but he's always getting rowdy with people, right? Now, he's doing it in the Lord's name. He's not doing it for his own grandiosity or, you know, he's, he's obedient to a fault, Elijah. He's going to say what God calls him to say. But there's this great moment that comes right before 1 uh, Kings 19 that we have to unpack before we get into this passage. And it's this. There's a false god being tempt, tempting Israel, right? And there's leaders who are saying, worship Baal instead. Don't worship Yahweh, worship Baal. Worship the God of convenience, the God of you know, the, this time, the God that's going to give you rain for the harvest, actually, is what it is. It's a little bit of Elijah's backstory. He says God's going to stop the rain, which is an affront to the God of, of, of um, Baal. But they have, uh, so they have this uh, situation where they're being unfaithful and they go to the top, I think it's of Mount Horeb, right? They go to the top of the mountain and they have a competition between Yahweh and the other God. And they decide that whichever God can light wood on fire on top of the mountain is the real God. This is a kind of a bet they've made, right? And you know the story, they get on top of the mountain. But my favorite thing I wanna just unpack for a second is that when Elijah gets up there with the prophets of Baal, and there's hundreds of prophets of Baal, been appointed by the nation, by the king and queen, uh, Queen Jezebel, I believe, and King Ahab, had been appointed to kind of prophesy blessing and all that. They get up there, and then uh, they start chanting and praying to Baal that he would make fire. And my favorite thing about Elijah is in the middle of all the chanting and praying, nothing is happening, and he starts to make fun of him. He goes, yeah, Jim Sand. He goes, say it louder. Hit yourself harder. Maybe he's asleep. You're God. Try a little more. Now, listen, I know it's like that just doesn't even feel Christian, Elijah. But there's part of me that goes, yeah, it's not a real God at all. That's not all of it, though. So it doesn't happen for these poor 200 prophets of Baal. They just wear themselves out pleading for something that's never going to come. And then Elijah's like, okay, now I'm going to pray to Yahweh. But wait, I want you to put some water on the wood. And they do it. Put some more water on the wood. And they do it put more water. Third time, puts water in the wood. The water's running out of the trough. He did a trench around the wood. They've got it totally, it's standing in water. And then he says, Yahweh, for your name's sake. And he calls down what? Fire from heaven. And it burns it up in an instant. It burns up the wood. It burns up the stones. It burns up everything. The prophets die. I mean, it's crazy. 
And then Jezebel gets offended. And she, I'm going to pick it up. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of theirs. She's going to kill him. I want you to see this Elijah, this great, powerful man of God, prophet, faithful, seeing, believing. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. I love that. He ran away. Elijah. I mean, he was on the mountain when God came down, but he fled for fear of his life. What was that old meme? Ran for, ran for my life. That was Elijah. I'm out of here. House is on fire. I'm running for my life. Get me out of here. I'm going to die. Look at what the word says. He ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant in, in Beersheba, and while he himself then went another day's journey away into the desert. So he had run away. He left his servant. He runs to get totally alone. And then what it says, he came to a broom tree, or a broom bush, maybe your Bible says. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Look at his words. I have had enough, Yahweh. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What? After this great mountaintop experience with God, Elijah was afraid and runs for his life and then pleads that God would take him. I've had enough. Have you ever found yourself saying to the Lord, Lord, I've had enough. I've had enough. He gets himself alone and isolated in this wilderness location where no one's around. Even his best servant, his confidant, is not with him anymore. He leaves him behind, and he gets totally isolated, and he's had enough. He's done. He's pleading with God. Now look at verse 5. And then he laid down under that tree and fell asleep. He just passes out, falls asleep. Do you think it's okay to collapse in exhaustion? And, and you might say, well, physical exhaustion? Yeah, I guess so. How about spiritual exhaustion? Or how about emotional exhaustion? How about when you're just like there with Elijah? Do you feel it? And it's not that it hasn't been good. It's been great. And you're just, you're just, you're done. And he lays down and he falls asleep. What does God think of us in those moments? What do you think God's thinking? I told you earlier, you know, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Is he like, Elijah, yeah, I can't believe you've quit so, so soon. What is God saying in those moments? See, I think we get to see here God's model of restoration laid out in scripture in Elijah's life, because we see what God does for Elijah. Look at this. Then he laid down in verse five under that tree and he fell asleep. It's interesting to me that he sat down to pray and he falls asleep under that, in that same spot without moving. He didn't go to that tree to sleep. He got, the, he got there just to be done. Look at this. All at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. 
Elijah looked around, this is verse 6, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. I, I love this response of God that when Elijah is totally done, he's like, I can't do anymore, and he passed out under the tree, that God sends a ministering angel to come and touch him. I don't know what that touch looks like, by the way, because the, the word can mean to hit with a stick, you know, like, get up. I don't think that's what it means. I mean, it's like a, hey, buddy, <laughs> Elijah, hey, 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 wake up. And you imagine Elijah waking up going like, I don't want to wake up. You ever been that way, by the way? <laughs> No, get up, not yet, no. I don't want to face the day. But when he opens his eyes, what does he see? Not another task, not a taskmaster, not a slave driver, food and drink. Not just food and drink, hot, warm bread baked over a coal. How beautiful is that? This should ask some, we should beg some questions like, who made the bread? Who was so thoughtful to make bread for Elijah under the broom tree? <laughs> Who put the mint on the pillow? <laughs> Who did this? And you imagine him after this exhaustion, a day's journey into the wilderness, no, nowhere to go. He was at the end of it. You pop that bread open and the warmth comes out. One of the experiences I had on my trip was we ate an MRE on our trip for fun. MRE. And uh, man, that thing was complicated to use. It wasn't bad, by the way, but it was hard to, and I said, I would never do this, man. I just rip these packets, this pre-cooked, just squirt it in there like, you know, Colgate or something, just, and then go on with my life. And Rich, my brother-in-law, who'd been deployed, said, look, at <laughs> she's like, that's disgusting. No, it tastes the same. It's just cold. But listen, he said, you've not been deployed. Because when you're deployed and you get a warm meal in your belly, that's a different thing. It ain't that cold, gelatinous, whatever. You're just sustenance. Just here's good enough. No, it's a delight. It's a pleasure. You know what he said? Actually, I'll tell you something else. By the way, speaking of 9/11 and folks who've served us, our nation and stuff, is he said even better than that was homemade cookies. Because he opened the MRE cookie. It was supposed to be homemade, and it was weird. <laughs> but he said, "Oh man, if you got a care package from the states in your barracks, you were the cat's pajamas." That's not what he said. Hey, fella. You're the cat's pajamas. No, he said, but as we said, he goes, you could trade for stuff. You could trade for stuff of great value with one real homemade cookie. You could, they could be smashing the crumbs because somebody cares enough to show love that way. You imagine, here's Elijah and, and a jar of water, like more water than he needed, just an abundance of water in the desert. So he breaks it and he eats the bread and he drinks the water and then what's he do? He lays right back down. Here's, I think, the model for restoration. Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. <laughs> what great thing are we going to do for God's glory? Eat, sleep, eat, drink, sleep, repeat. This is the model that's demonstrated in Elijah's own life. This is the model not of what Elijah wants, but what God gives him. Elijah eats and drinks and lays right back down. Let's read on in the text then. He laid down under the tree a second time. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord then came back a second time and touched Elijah again. Again, I think that's that. Hey, buddy, get up and eat. 
Look at what, there's something else there. It's always interesting to see the differences and the similarities. So you have him wake, wake him up again or get him up, prod him or whatever. He says the same thing, get up and eat. This is an encouragement. Hey, get up and eat something. But look what he says, because this journey is too much for you. You can't do this alone. You're not supposed to. You see, one of the things I think the problem with that Galatians text is we can read that and say, well, I've got this. I'm going to muster again of my own strength. And what Elijah is told, this great man of God by the angel, is that this journey is too much for you. So get up, take, and eat. Look at verse 8. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank again. So there's a repeat cycle. Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. Some of you who know me well know that I've been part of a ministry called Broomtree Ministries, and that's a care ministry for pastors who are just, they're not even done just wearing themselves out and don't know it, and they have seven-day curriculum. Seven days for pastors who are serving full-time in ministry and missionaries as well, by the way, full-time, and not, you know, any kind of a pastor who's full-time. What is the method for seven days? Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. That's the curriculum for seven days. You can't take cell phone. You can't text. You can't check your Facebook. You can't try You can't write a book. <laughs> you got to stop and care, be cared for. I almost said care for yourself. That's not what it is. Let someone else bless you. It's the hardest thing for those who are servant oriented. It's the hardest thing to stop and let someone care for you. But God does it here. Why? Because the journey, the road, the distance is too much for you to do without it. You need the sustenance of God. By the way, I was fascinated to find out when it says the journey is too much. The word for journey here is derrick. It's a way, a path. And it's too hard to do apart from God's sustenance. Elijah ran out of himself. He ran out of his fear. And he ends up hopeless under a tree, desperately asking for it all to end. And in the moment, God's great love is that he came and fed him and gave him a drink and then uh, called him to sleep, to rest. What happens then of this God's sustenance? And we're going to wrap up here quickly. He's strengthened by the food. Look at what the word says. After the second time, he strengthened by that food brought by God. He then traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. I don't know if, which is the mountain of God. And he spent the night in a cave there. So I don't know if, uh, if we, we see that uh, differently, but I hear that text is that after he's eaten and drank and slept on his tree, when he gets up, he's no longer running on Elijah power. He's no longer running on Elijah fear. He's running on the sustenance that God has given him to continue. And that's just 40 days and 40 nights. That's for a reason, right? There's some biblical principles here on 40 days and 40 nights, but he doesn't quit. He's going and going because what God has given him is sustaining him for the journey ahead. And my favorite thing is when he ends, he ends up sleeping again in the cave in the mountain of God. Can you think of a more secure place to end your journey than in a hole in the rock in the side of the mountain where God lives? Like, who's going to mess with you in the cave on the side of the rock of the mountain of God? I could think of no safer place for him to end after this care that God has given him. So what's the result for him? What's his restoration? It's eat, drink, sleep, repeat. 
And what's the result? He's strengthened for the journey, ends up sleeping in a cave in the mountain of God, the destination reached where God had intended him to go. He's not done yet, by the way. You'll know this if you know the story. God ain't done with Elijah, but he's got him to that next step of life. What are the takeaways then this morning for this whole thought, right? How do you find restoration? The first is this, that God calls us to keep on doing good. That is true in Galatians. God tells us, continue doing good because in your season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't quit. But it also tells us the journey is too much for us alone. It's too much. And if it depends on us, we're doomed. We're gonna be out. God does not, though, expect us to do it alone. And ultimately, we find what Elijah found in Jesus Christ. That's where we find that food and that water in the journey is in Christ himself. So I have a question. Are you tired from the journey? Like, maybe you're not. I'm not trying to make you tired. Are you, but are you there? You're like, I don't know. Do you need to find restoration in Jesus Christ? And I don't just mean you go, yeah, yeah, I have salvation in Christ. But not that, but restoration, fulfillment, to be full again, serving from an abundance of what God has for you. I want to share three scriptures with you. I just want you to hear them because I'm making a case here that Jesus Christ, the living God, is our bread and water, like Corey said last week, living water. And so I want you to hear this this morning. These words, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you, which is each and every one of you, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's another one, John 6:35. Then Jesus declared to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. And then lastly, what Corey shared with you last week, John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water from a well will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, and I want you to hear this, the water that Christ gives to us becomes in us a spring of water welling up even unto eternal life. This blessing, this salvation, this restoration in Christ is his favor on us. It's his blessing for us. So how about you? Are you like going it alone, trying to prove what a great Christian you are, how much you can accomplish? Or do you have that living bread and water that rejuvenates us from the inside when we're all done, we're tapped out. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning and for your call to rest, restoration, and peace. I pray, Father, this morning that as we seek you in these moments, that you would be teaching us in our spirit and that we would know you more fully. Lord, it is not our work. We, we are inadequately equipped to deal with all these things of life. Father, but you have made a way in Christ. 
I pray, Father, first, if there's those who are listening or are watching or in the room right now who have not yet, they're not believing your salvation, they're still trying to muster the good works to get you happy, that they, they would quit that and they would know that everything we need has been paid for by your son and our savior Jesus on the cross, that there's nothing you can add to or take away from his sacrifice that would make you more or less happy with us, that he completely satisfied you, that in him you have satisfaction for all of our sins. And if that is not true for us, I pray we would know it by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would continue to challenge our thoughts about us owning our own sin and rather we would give it to you. And then Father, as we know that truth in our life, how do we fall back into the yoke of slavery of good enough and doing enough? Help us to rest and find restoration in that indwelling spirit, Christ, who's anointed us for your purpose in this life. Help us to know how you have laid out a path for us, a plan, and then help us to return to you for the strength, for the joy, for the hope that you've laid out, laid out for us in this journey. May you be glorified as we continue to live on you, Father. There is no life apart from Christ, no hope apart from the gospel. And so, Father, today I give you thanks and praise for that, that that gospel hope not only saves us, but sustains us for the journey. Help us to depend on you as we continue to seek to do good works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.